There we go. So, so Brian's one of our longest serving members. He's one of the originals. Um, when was it? 1845 that you joined the. T- <laughs> <laughs> I'm all looky, but no. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, so from, from, from way back, and there's a, there's a few others in here that were part of, of, of the church here and been in the old building and come across uh, to the new building. So I wanted to bring you up and just ask you a bit about your story. So why don't you take us to the, the, the very beginning and uh, lead us off there? Well, I grew up on a farm and I never played with any children till I went to school and I had a lovely outdoor life always out in the fields with my dad big farm, well reasonably big 80 acres and uh, and then when I got to five it was time to start school well when I, when I went into a classroom with 35 to 40 people in it I was claustrophobic, I wasn't used to being I felt trapped, you know and my dad, one day, came past, was walking up. This is the village of, well, Golden Hill. And he, uh, he came past the playground. He was going up the village or something. And he saw me being bullied. Somebody taking something off me. And my dad was a bit of a tough guy. And uh, he went home. He said to my mother, I'm going to have to toughen that lad up. He's going to suffer all his life if I don't do something about it. So he started toughing me. Well, as I got big, you know, boxing gloves and that sort of thing. And he had one principle. Get the first hit in and don't let him recover. <laughs> and and uh, in them days, I mean, we're going back before Kung Fu, if you started to fight and you started kicking, you say, oh, he's like a girl, he's got kicked, you know. <laughs> So he had to fight with your fists. But what I want to tell you is, trouble seemed to come my way. Uh, and I never sort of looked for it. I don't know why it was. Uh, first day at middle school, uh, Gerald, uh, a lad who's, as we got older, used to come down the farm. And uh, he actually worked on the farm uh, for, for a while. Anyway, he, he was going to look after me first day at middle school. And I was in the playground, Eric will know it, because Eric went to the same school, and I picked apple core up to throw at Gerald, and I hit a big lad in his runny ear, and he come at me fighting. So I had a fight, I, I held my own with him, but he was bigger than me, uh, and uh, before I went in school, I, I'd had a fight. You know. So that, that was the pattern of my life, you know. And then another, well, I won't mention that now, but so when I got to, <laughs> when I got to the senior school, uh, you know, things followed me just the same. And uh, I remember one day, there was, a, there was a gang of bullies, there was five of them, and my friends weren't fighters, and they were frightened, of, and they kept a, a wide berth on because they knew something was coming up, and my name was mentioned. I remember seeing them in the playground, all five of them looking like, like nasty, like, you know. And I thought, something's going to happen. So I went home. I always walked home from my dinner, I had to walk across it a rough piece of ground and across a couple of fields on a footpath to the farm where I lived. And I, I, I was sitting like looking like mopes in a bit and my dad said, what's up with thee? He never talked to me like a son. What's up with thee? I said, um, I've got a gang of bullies uh, picking on me dad. 
He said, Don't tell me, they frightened a few boys. Get thee back, man. No sort of charity, get the first hit in. And don't let them recover. Then we don't understand broad stuff. You, you know, I suppose you could understand that. I'll translate it. Basically, his dad said, You need to get back there and fight them. That's, that's what he said. So, after a pep talk from my dad, I was all G'd up. I was like a coil spring when I went to school. And it was the science room, Eric. You know the science room? And it was a class with, with B, B class boys and A class boys. No girls, big class. And um, sitting at science benches. And of course, these tough guys have got to come in late. Like, no teacher. And they come in through the door saying, Eccleston, Eccleston, taunting me, you know. And I was up on my feet. And I, I, I met the first one and I smacked him as hard as I could in the face. He started crying. <laughs> That's bullish for you, isn't it? When you tattle. The next one was a really big lad. And I went for him, ate him a time or two. Well, he, he'd got no fight in him. There wasn't much room between the sides. He wanted to get past me out of the way, no fight. And then the, the, old, the, the lad, the troublemaker, he had a big brother in school. Uh, his surname was Hall, Graham Hall. I don't know whether Eric met. He was older than Eric. Of course, his brother had left, but he'd grown up thinking he could do what he wanted. And I used to think, as a boy, there was something evil about him. And I found out later, after school, he was in prison. And it didn't surprise me. Anyway, I got him up again the classroom door. And I really, really left him thinking what my dad going to do. Etting him as hard as I could, you know. Another major too, he'd have been down. Anyway... Teacher come out, he gave a stick. Because <laughs> the teachers don't, uh, you know, they see two lads fighting, they don't uh, find out why. Uh, you know, uh, it was no good me saying, well, I'm being picked on with five. The other two lads must have been in, in, in the class, but they never helped them. And um, so, so, so that, then next, I could hear somebody whispering behind me. And what they'd done, there's another gang, they weren't bullies. But the, uh, the leader of the gang, they, they were a big fighting family in the village, you know. Litherlands, Eric. Yeah. And, <laughs> and they were choking them into, we'll, we'll, we'll get him, right? But this other gang could enjoy them. And I thought to myself, I'm going to get it here. I can't fight two gangs. What, <laughs> matter, matter what my dad stole, you know. <laughs> so, anyway, I, uh, I thought, well, I was tempted going through the girls' entrance. <laughs> but then I thought, well, I, I, I'll have to face it tomorrow. So my idea was, because I know this Ernie Hall was, was the troublemaker, if I get up at you, I know I'm going to get it, but when I go out through the classroom and into the playground, old time, I'm going, if I see him, I'm going to finish off what I started, because I know he's the troublemaker. Anyway, come, uh, come to the boys enters, lots of lads about like, thinking something's going to happen I walk through them and I expected somebody to jump around the corner went. next morning I went to school you want to see Eccleston fight? I was like a hero you know. <laughs> because, because they were all fried with these bullies I mean I, I, I'm only telling you this because I didn't like to I, I didn't like to talk about it in, in church and that sort of thing but Pastor said, he said, people want to know where you've come from and how you've got to where you are now. Yeah. And I thought, well, that's fair enough. So that, that was that. 
And then the next fight I had, a big, a big lad, and he was a big lad, he's a year older, he got me football boots, he was swinging him around, and he threw him across the hall, and he hit the back wall, of the, and I rushed at him, you know. Oh, he says you want, and talking down to him, oh, you want fight, do you? You're like talking like I, because I was younger than him. I said, yeah. So, but it was arranged at night time, you know, a fight at school, everybody is about it, lots of folks. And then, but I wasn't, <laughs> I wasn't able to put my dad's principal in, into play in this one, because he started fighting, and he smacked me in the face with no spurtable blood. I, I must have had a light coloured shirt on. Went all over my shirt. Then he hit me in the chest. Went, I, I stood on my feet. And a girl in our class started crying. Mary Caton from the butchers in the village, eh? <laughs> <laughs> she ran off, fetched somebody. What? He might have thought, I, you know, I, I've had it, but I want to likely to give in. I thought I'm just... It's, I've had a bad start, but I'm not going to give any. I'm going to throw my football. But, you know, and as time went on, I, I started having him on the back foot, and I was going. I thought I'm going to beat him. And then a lady came out of the dinner centre, we just behind, and she said, um, and she shouted, "Hey, you knew me mother? Come on!" So I washed all the blood off me. I thought I'm going to finish it. So as soon as I got out, I went down. And she come out, hey, I told you, that way, you know. So I couldn't. So I said to me mate, uh, next day, I said, go tell him we'll finish it tonight. So my mate went, and he come back and said, he'd had enough. And, you know, he'd had enough. So that was that. So that was that fight. <laughs> but, but it's funny how, how, you know, it followed me, you know, even into when I was working. Now my mother had asked me, and one day, she was leaning over the table, couldn't get her breath, and she, she was burning some powder called uh, Potter's Asthma Cure or something, and she was trying to say something. I was only little then, and, she, and she, what she was saying, go find your dad, bring your dad. Well, on an 80-acre farm, where do you find your dad? Where is he? It could be some of the fields were way off, you know. I, I must have found him, you know, but it worried me, you know. And because she had asked me, I used to have to do the shopping, and uh, I, I staffed up the village with two bags and she gave me a, a note in a various shops, you know. And I was coming back from shops one day and I was walking through the barracks. It's called the barracks. I don't, I, I don't know if Eric knows what, what the barracks... He will do. He's yeah. known everything else in this story, so... <laughs> <laughs> he does. And, and, and all these lads uh, come around me and uh, they want to fight me. I mean, what was it about me? I, I'd have got a face like a smack bottom and everybody wanted to smack it. I don't know what it was. He wanted to fight me. Uh, and, and one of the lads, Stanley Opwood, uh, I had a, I'd had a fight with him in, in the junior school and he got big leather gloves on and it was winter time. Some, some, afterwards, they said he put pebbles in his, in his gloves. Anyway, we were fighting on the playground and it was on a bit of a slope and it was winter and I lost my footing and I went down. Not because I was hurt, I got up again for fight again and he'd run off. You know, so I don't know why, but, uh, but he, was, he was the one in, 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 in the one to fight me in the barracks. And so, uh, I, I, I just lost my jest there. So let me bring you. So, Phaeton followed you. Yeah, he did. Yeah, um, so, and 
not always started by you, but it followed I you about... Start, there's only one exception. I may have started something. Mm. Maybe. I'm okay. not sure, but I can tell no. you about that. Well, let, let's talk about... So, was there any Christian influence in your home at that point? Um, did you have any church interaction at that point? My dad was brought up by my grandparents, and my granddad was a preacher. Mm. Well-respected preacher, you know. Uh, but my dad said he was the black sheep of the family because all his brothers, there's eight of them, all his brothers and sisters went to chapel, but not my dad. He got from under my granddad's influence by going farming and living in. Yeah. And my granddad was very strict. He used to, <laughs> used to go out with my granddad preaching. And they'd have to walk in them days. And they were walking along as country lane and a nice young woman come past and, and my dad went... And his granddad said, don't you turn around at people when they've gone past. And that's how strict he was. You know? I mean, my dad wanted to get away from it. Uh, so there's no Christian influence really at that point, no. So, no, so no. let's get to where, 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 does, where does Jesus start to appear in your life? Where, well, take us to that point. Yeah, okay, take you to that. Uh, we used to go town walking. Uh, it was a fashion that uh, uh, young people used to do. And we used to go to Tunstall and walk around the block in Tunstall. And uh, hoping to talk to, you know, a girl or a boy, and that's how it was. And when we were walking town walking, the Salvation Army was on, on the corner. And at the time, I, I'd come out of the building, say, and I spent a couple, two and a half years maintenance during in uh, down Pinnock Street, Wretched Styles. And um, so uh, this mate of mine, I mated out with somebody there, uh, he's a year younger man, and he wanted to stop and listen to Salvation Army. And I said, no, you don't want to, they'll come talking to you, they'll have you in Salvation, you know, they'll have you in the army if you're not careful. <laughs> but it, he persuaded me. And there was, a, there was a, young la- a young fella, a year older than me, I remember him at school, Ian Osarup, big family. Uh, uh, and Do you know the Merrick? He was preaching. He only got all in uniform. I thought, whatever's happened to him, you know. He was always rolling around the playground, you know, at school, you know. Rough and tumble lad, you know. But he was preaching. Anyway, they come talking to us after. And they invited us to go to uh, Burslem to a, a, a meeting on Saturday. And I said, I'm not going. But he talked me into it. So off we went. And when you go through from Tunstall, you go through Burson, you go through the first set of lights, and then the next set, and there was a billiard door, the lights still there on your right, and a turning there, and, and, and if you go up that turning, there's a cinema, but it's gone now. And I ended up standing in a big circle, circle in daylight with salvation. I, I got my head down, so does anybody sees me? <laughs> I was right embarrassed I was, you know. <laughs> so... Uh, after that, we, we went into this uh, uh, hall, and it's the first time I heard young people testify to the grace of God mm. in their lives, how their lives. And I must admit, that really spoke to me. You know. mm. So, so uh, yeah. So uh, and then Ernie, my friend, Irene's brother, we had, we had a bit of a fight, and uh, <laughs> I don't I don't know what, I don't know what it was about. And I can't think how it ended, but we were big pals after that. We went everywhere together. And one day Ernie come meet me out at the tile bank down Pennock Street. 
and, and Betty, Betty Watts was coming out. And I introduced him to Betty, uh, to Betty, uh, Betty Watts. And he started, worst thing I've got a new mate then. Uh, you know, uh, and uh, you know, and I ended up I was best malady right, and all that. And then they, then they, I lost touch because they emigrated to South Africa. He's a plumber. You know. So at that point, I started uh, knocking around with three older guys. They were ten years older than me, and uh, all they did was drink. Now I didn't, never did like beer, you know. but I used to go along with them. And uh, I don't know how long we went on like that. And then I, I remember coming home one night, and we used to park down the hollows uh, where uh, Day's mum and dad lived, along that track, Day, and Adele. Adele isn't here, is he? Uh, and we used to park at the side of our house, right on the road, around midnight, talking rubbish, because you've had a drink, you know. And then one night, I remember coming into the house, mother and dad asleep, and I thought, if this is having a good time, it's isn't very good. I thought, surely there's got to be something different in life than, than going drinking and, and, you know, that sort of... We could play football in the wood uh, on Sunday morning. And, and, and I, I, I couldn't see it at the time, but I, as I look back on it, I can see the Holy Spirit starting mm. to speak to me. And then something remarkable happened, and I still can't understand it now. One night... Not long after, you know, thinking like that, sitting in the car with these guys, and the th- I, I, you know, I, I can't explain it. The thought came: this life is not for you. It's as distinct in my mind. I didn't hear a voice or anything like that. This life is not for you. And immediately, I packed going out with these guys all together because I knew there was something significant about it, and. Um, I started meeting out with one of them, a younger one, who was the brother of one of these, who lived along that track where Day's parents lived, that Leesy's next door to where your mum and dad lived. And uh, that was that was significant thing, you know. So, I was coming up to 21, and my uncle, uh, a real good, my dad's brother, a real good, sincere believe it and uh, he could see because he knew some of these men I was going out drinking with he knew I was on the wrong path and uh, he bought me this bible and they had, they had a little a little get together in this little cottage, my uncles and aunties at my 21st birthday and he wrote in, in it to Brian on your birthday, 21st birthday and I've just put underneath tw- 65 years ago but uh, and, and that started me. I started, I, and, and he, he said, he said, look, he says, I want, I want you to read this. It'll do you some good. And of course, uh, you know, it, was, it meant nothing to me at the time. I, I put it in my bedroom and thought nothing about it. And then one day, I thought I'd better have a look at it because my uncle will be asking me. So, well, I, where, where do you start on this antiquated book, you know, that old-fashioned and, I thought I might as well have a little read at the beginning. So I started in the beginning, and I'll never, I never know why. I, could think, I never let my mother and dad know. Every night I was reading it, and, and I, I waded all the way through the Old Testament to the book of Isaiah. I, I don't know how, you know how it was, I kept going. 
And then uh, I thought to myself, I wonder what New Testament's like. So I started the New Testament. And then I could understand that a lot more. Now at the time, I was back in the building trade. And where I had to go to catch the, the builder's truck, just down where, where this cottage is on this little road where we live, was a footpath that went through two fields, then through a wood, then through two more fields, then under the railway track, the uh, kids drove to uh, Macclesfield railway track, and onto a little lane, and then I used to pick the, the, the truck up, and it's one of them big built trucks with a ladder down the back and a canopy on, so you had to climb up the ladder and sit under the canopy seat. And this particular, I was enjoying the New Testament, and I, 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 I mean, I wasn't saved, I was loving it, and I, I felt that happy then this particular morning, and I can't believe I thought this, but I did. I got up the ladder and I thought, if any of the men say to me, boy, you look happy this morning, I thought, not being shared it with it's too good to share, I thought. <laughs> I don't know, it's like evangelism in reverse. <laughs> and so, but by now, the Bible was speaking to me, and it is the word of God we know. And I said to me, mate John, the younger brother of the other drinking man, I said to you, well, how about trying church? A little chapel in Mount Pleasant, you know. And he was a farm worker. He only had one Sunday off in three because he had milked the cows, you know. But we did. We went to chapel. Now, we didn't see anything in it particularly, but we met another young fellow there. He was about three years younger than me. And he'd grown up in the church and he'd recently been saved, well, about 12 months ago. And we started meeting. It was three of us then, see. And then... One Sunday night in 1959, that was a lot of you, we weren't born then, <laughs> 1959, uh, we thought we'd have a walk up to, because Mount Pleasant's a village, not at the top of Mount Cop, but lower down. And of course, there's a lot of history of primitive Methodism up there, and there's hundreds of thousand people up there in 1907, it was like a revival. And, and they still commemorate it, so we went up there, didn't know what was going on, and there's all these people around the castle sitting on the grass and everything. And uh, I said, what this is? So we sat on the grass, and there was a preacher from Brindley Ford, all, a, local, uh, a, a local preacher, all dressed in black. And he was preaching on the prodigal son. But the difference with, with him was, he was crying when he was speaking. He said, I, I've lived a riotous and terrible life, he says, down in London. He said, and, um, he says, I got to the point where all my money had gone, just like the prodigal, and I was desperate. Said, somebody said, you need Christ. And, you know, he says, I responded to that. He says, I'm ashamed to say I've been kicked out of public houses for being drunk. I've even been with prostitutes, and tears are dropping off the end of his chin. I thought to myself, this man means it, you know, it's real. And he said he'd come home to his parents, never bothered with them like the prodigal. Uh, and he said, once I got established in the faith, he says, I went back down to London and told them I'm a new man in Christ. And I thought, well, and then I started thinking. Just before that, that point, I said to Raymond, uh, the, the, the new guy, uh, I said, Raymond, you, you, you've gone to church a lot. I said, I'm struggling with it with John with a chapter 3 in John and Jesus said he must be born again I know it sounds you know it sounds important but I don't, I don't know what it means and then he explained to me 
what had happened to him. A preacher had come that one Sunday there and he'd responded to the message. So I'm sitting listening to this, sitting on the grass, lovely sunny evening, and I thought to myself, this is probably what I've been looking for all my life, you know, when I come in and, 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 and thought this is, this is all in life, all there is in life, you know. This is it. So he, he said, we sing this last hymn. He says, now, if any of you need a life-changing experience, he says, I can't give it you, but I can show you the way. Be bold, get up, come out, let the world know you mean business. That's what he said. So I thought, I don't know what my mates are going to do. I'm, go, I'm going. I, this, this is what I feel drawn to. Got up, and all three of us went forward. And uh, uh, my, my mate, uh, uh, Raymond, uh, he rededicated himself, because, you know, and, I, and then the preacher prayed with us. He took us down to the chapel, opened the scriptures to us, and showed us what we'd done. And we come out of there, we oh, so shocked, so shocked. And... Uh, of course, we're in the building trade, and you know there's a lot of roughers in the building trade. And when Raymond went on same firm as me, not always on the same site, but uh, and we went back to work, and it wasn't long before they saying, "Hey, what? You know, something different about these." Then they realised what had happened. Well, we told them. Then they were trying to show us pornographic literature and all that. There's no chance that we were looking at that rubbish, you know, and. Uh, that, that's how we started off. We started working in the chapel, uh, evangelising even from an early stage. I, I used to have a ministry uh, of pray, going around houses where people were sick and praying for them. I didn't find out that my grandfather, because my grandfather died three years before I was born, that's exactly what he used to do, you know, and they didn't know he'd done it, you know. And, uh, and then we started drawing young people in, into church, and, and then uh, we had an evangelical Minister he used to play for Port Vale, Reverend Norman Allen, his name was, and then he went in the army, joined the war, and he, uh, when he was in the army, uh, he, he, he must have felt in danger, and he went behind a peat stack, he said, and asked the Lord Jesus into his life to be his saviour, and he was a great guy, you know, and we can all remember some of the things he said, but, uh, and then with, with Methodism, every four years, they, they change, you know. And then we had another minister, and then it all went flat. So we started looking around. And it's amazing, you know. I would never perhaps known any of you, particularly the people who were here years ago. I was in the workshop one day, being a joiner, and I was making stuff for the site, you know, like windows, stairs, and all that sort of thing. And I did all my noisy work, and my, my, my apprentice had gone to day school, and uh, I thought I'll, I'll do some quiet work on the bench, cleaning mortis holes, and listen to Radio Stoke. And that's when I heard Bob Vaughan being interviewed, when he's got an American missionary, and he was Baptist missionary, coming over here, and he's going to start a Baptist church. And, and, and I said, I mentioned it to, to Norman, and I took our Jill, our daughter who's died, uh, to it, she'd be about nine, and we were meeting in Norton School, just down the bank, past where you were, and uh, uh, no, just one or two folks there, and there was another uh, missionary with him, Farrell Kearney, you remember Farrell? Yeah. He was helping him out, getting started, because 
And then he said, well, would you come to my house this afternoon? Uh, we have it, we're going to have a service there. And uh, so I took Norma and our other daughter, and there was like two adults, us two, and then there was two young women about in their 20s who played guitars and that sort of thing. And that's how it started in 1974, would you believe mm. And, uh, and then about 18 months after Barry and Chris and Elaine joined us we were only hiring buildings but I must say uh, Pastor Bolton Lear uh, um, who, who took us to the old building because he went preaching there and they, we got no building that's how we came to come across here in the old building but uh, the, the people there um, uh, Bob felt he couldn't he couldn't uh, pastor because they got all to this money like a nest egg. Bob wanted to evangelise and get things going, you know, and he, he, he said he couldn't he couldn't pastor because they wouldn't they wouldn't they wouldn't allow. It. And Norma and I were disillusioned because we've always loved Bob, and he's in his nineties now, ninety three. You know, he's, he was a Jehovah's Witness for fourteen years, and he's told me how to minister to Jehovah's Witnesses. Uh, and we were off for a month, weren't we, Norma? We didn't know. We didn't know what to do. And then Mick Riley said something to him, and I said, yeah, well, and we went back. So that's how, how the church started, you know. Uh, what, where am I up to now? Uh, right, let me, let me, let me. Let me. <laughs> For the sake of time, let me, let me, let me bring you. So, the Lord came into your life, 19, when? It was 1959. 1959, so quick, quick mass, that's... Quite a few years you've known the Lord for. Yeah, it um, Tell me, well, tell us what he means to you. Well, I feel, because I haven't told you half the story what I've been involved in. And not only fighting, I started stealing. And things like that. I've, I feel I'm a sinner of sinners. I really do. And I sit and think sometimes, and I get, I get the, the devil tempting, reminding me what sort of life I've lived. And I, I have to fight it off. And I, I look at James uh, chapter 4. Uh, God resisteth the proud, give grace unto the humble. Submit yourselves therefore to God. Resist the devil and he'll flee from you. Draw nigh to God and he will draw nigh to you. Mm-hmm. And I do, I can't, I can't believe, in the morning, I always kneel to pray, I always have done all these years, and when you read in the scriptures, all the apostles, uh, you know, the apostle Paul, uh, when he was going up to Jerusalem, leaving for the last time, Ephesus, he knelt on the beach and prayed, and um, Daniel prayed, and so on and so on, and Norma says, it's that what's damaged my knees because my knees are gone. <laughs> so I'll be careful when I get up with you. Well, I've been sitting a bit, you know. Uh, but, yeah, I, 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 life, life is so different. I, I, you know, Jeremiah talks, the empty systems, oh, we've tri- I've tried all, all the, you know, I, I've tried it. And I have a saying, only Christ can satisfy you. Only Christ. That you can try anything, and you get pleasure out of something. But lasting pleasure only comes through Christ. Amen. 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 So, do you have any regrets at all about choosing Christ? Have you? Well, have you ever known anybody, a Christian on his deathbed, wished he'd never been a Christian? No. No. But I've read about agnostics and, and atheists who regretted it. You know. 
So yeah, it's. Um, so just for clarification, are you still a fighting man? I, I, hope I, put, I hope I put the fight. Yeah, it took a while. To, it took a while to wear off because, mm. you know, when, when we were courting Norman and I, we were out one day in the country. It was a lovely summer when I met it, and we, we were sitting on a, a bank and, and looking down a, a field right in front of us. You know, and uh, we were reading tracts. We, we, we wanted to know more about the Christian faith. We were excited about it. You know, reading tracts. And there's a big edge down the middle of this field, big edge. And I noticed some movement in this edge. And uh, I, th- I, thought, I thought, somebody's watching us. So I shouted, what are you looking at? <laughs> and they come back with a foulish language. I didn't know Norma very well. There's a wooden fence, two rails, and so I, I was over top of that. And, and I could tell that they were men. They, weren't, they, they got deep voices. And I thought, and I jumped over the fence... I was that embarrassed, and I run down, I thought, there's two of them, I'm thinking to myself, run down the field, uh, and they saw me coming. And one, one split the other side, I never saw it, and he ran that way. And they were men, and another guy, the other one, he was a big lanky bloke, running, I soon caught him up, and I grabbed him round the throat, and I pulled him down, and I put my fist in his face, and I said, you know, to threaten him, and I felt that, I, 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 it must have been the Holy Spirit starting with him, because I frightened him. And he said, he said, don't hit me. He says, I'm under the doctor. He says, and uh, <laughs> I did say that. And uh, he says, uh, and it wasn't me that said it, did it? And I come away, I thought, I've really upset that little but, but that, that's the old life. You know, it took a while. I could tell you other instances with Norman. Uh, even when I was courting, you know, it just seemed to come my way. I don't know why. I don't know why. Uh, and then I had another fight. I had, well, I'll just tell you one more. Oh, no. Oh, Eric. Oh, Eric said something. Tell about Eric Brooks. Eric, oh, Eric Brooks, yeah. Oh, I've, I, I've, I've mentioned that when, when, when he, he hit me on the nose and I was, my face was, that was Eric Brooks. That was Eric Brooks. <laughs> yeah. But uh, even when I was working, I started work in the building trade. And I've always ate bullies. Bullies bring the worst out in me. And I was working in a pantry. Uh, Fifteen, uh, I was raking the joints out, uh, ready to put the batons on for the shells. And, I, and, and this fella, I heard him bullying one of the lads, you know. And he, he was a mature man, he must have been in his forties. But this is a funny thing, you'll you, you think this is funny. I, I, in the building, said if they want to humiliate you, they always try to pull your trousers down. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know where it's come from, you know. And he come in this pantry, said he's, he's going to pull my trousers down. I can't tell you what I did to him because it isn't, t- it isn't for language for ladies. But all I can tell you was he went out of that pantry quicker than he came in. And I, I heard him telling uh, uh, somebody, Boy, he's strong that lad is. Strong. <laughs> But when I got to 19, well, listen to this, when I got to 19, I worked on Sandbach's grammar school. And uh, I, I, was, I, I was like I, four years into me training as a, as a joiner. And I worked with a very strict joiner. And I don't know how I used to stick him sometimes, the way he used to talk to me. You know, he called me ball brains. Don't you know I'll do that yet? And all that sort of talk. And um, uh, I, I was working at, and we had a big cabin. There was about 25 
maybe more men in, you know, and there's all sorts of vulgar talk and swearing, those loud mouths, and I sit up a corner because I was easily embarrassed. You know, I'd go red if anybody said anything to me. I was sitting there and keeping my nose clean, type of thing. And then just uh, uh, there was two Irish men, and they were, and they were labor, uh, laborers. What characters they were. One was a great big bloke, he was. And they, they had an old cooker in this big shed, and uh, they used to put bacon and eggs on, on, on a big uh, steel uh, plate, which was turned up at the end, you know. And, and I remember one day, this, this, he got a great big sandwich like this, and egg, egg running, down, running down his... But the funny thing about it was, at weekend, they never cleaned fat off, you know. They come Monday morning, they could see where mice had done the cracking, and they just warm it up again. Can you believe? Can you believe? So, so anyway, this particular day, this particular day, I was working, putting, I was putting door casings in. Uh, the the joiner like, was letting me do things on my own. I was putting these door casings in. It wasn't plastered. There was a concrete floor, and it started really raining outside and all these men came in out of the rain and they were like the drain layers that did that sort of work, you know. And the gang of them, the leader of them, here he comes again, see Eccleston there, and I'm working away, I'll have his trousers down in no time. <laughs> I just got pulled your trousers down. <laughs> can't even believe it. I just said, I don't think so. And I carried on working. All these men there, and he thought I, because I never, oh, I wasn't to swear, you know, I didn't swear a lot. And he thought, I'm not saying I never said it, but no, you know, it wasn't my, and my dad, rough as my dad was, he wasn't to swear any man, because it was the influence of my granddad, see. And uh, I carried on with it. Next minute he was on me. And it, I, I, it wasn't a fist fight, it was a wrestle. And all these men watching, and he was going to sh- show me up and show what a tough guy he was. And I got him in a necklock, and I got him down on the floor, my knee in his back, and he couldn't get up, and I was rubbing his face on the concrete floor. And all these men watching. And then the whistle went for the morning break. And it, we got up, and I heard him say to his man, well, he's never likely, he's only 19, now I'm 32. <laughs> but it wasn't over them, we used to play football. Uh, the day uh, in the afternoon, uh, uh, after, when we'd had his lunch, play football a bit. And he had, a, he had another relation in that gang who was bigger than him and taller and younger, he was only 25. And he played football and he come at me, uh, he, he didn't tackle the ball and he fetched me down and, and it was a real done on purpose. And I nearly started fighting then, you know, and I thought, no. Uh, but I thought, I know what he's thinking. He's thinking, let's see if you can do the same to me. And uh, so I thought, if he does it again, I'm going, I'm going to take him on. I didn't start it in the first place. This is how it kept happening to him, you know. But he never did it again. And so that, that, that was... <laughs> so, you know, Brian, Brian spoke to me about sharing this. And the reason I think... Um, that it is good to share these things is, is never to glorify these no, things. No, I don't want people to think that's never about it. that. No. It's about letting you know that none of us are perfect, that God can change people. Yeah. Because for those of you that, that 
you know, well, Norma might say different, but she lives with him. But for those <laughs> those that, that see Brian, you know, he's never come across to me as somebody that's aggressive. He's always come across to me as somebody that's very <laughs> humble and loves the Lord. And it's only Jesus that does that change. It's only Jesus that does that change. And this is why these, this, we're going to call this real stories, because we all have lives, we all have backgrounds, but the Lord Jesus Christ is, is an expert of bringing good out of bad. Yeah. And he will work in anybody's life that calls upon him as saviour. That day that Brian called upon the Lord as saviour, he wasn't changed instantly. The Lord still had to work out some things. That's the process that the Lord does as he changes us. But when you stick with God, he will change you. He will change you. So hopefully, Lord willing, we don't see Brian rolling about in the streets with anybody. <laughs> hopefully that side's done. But what I want to do, and we'll, we'll close now, and I'll, I'll pray if that's okay, is that I just want you all to know that no matter where you are, what you've done, there's a God that's calling you on to himself. Amen. And a God that wants to save you and change you and give you the best life. And, you know, Brian will tell you, talk to him after, that, that, that him and Norma, they've been through some difficult days. But the Lord has always been there. Amen. So we thank God for his faithfulness. We thank you for sharing. Brian, let's pray, shall we? Heavenly Father, we do thank you just for the time that we've had. Lord, again... The change that you can make in, in, in lives is just, it's amazing, Lord, that you can take sinners such as us and change us. Yeah. You can take the old and replace it with the new. Mm-hmm. You give us a new heart. You give us new desires. Mm-hmm. Lord, you, you turn us from the world onto you, to be a people of love and humility long-suffering and patience, Lord. And we confess that that doesn't happen overnight, mm. but it does happen yeah. as we seek your face and we allow your word to change us. I thank you for those faithful uh, preachers of the word that spoke into Brian's life all those years ago. Mm. I'm thankful for that man, actually, Lord, that shared his real story, mm. how that he was the prodigal, how he went and he lived yeah. in the excess and riots of the world. Mm. But, Lord, you were willing to save us so. Yeah. So I thank you for that message this morning, Lord. Mm-hmm. That no matter where we are, what we've done, who we were, Lord, yes. your grace for us reaches into the very depths of our sin and pulls mm-hmm. us and puts us up and puts us upon a rock that will never be moved. We thank you for thank the you, saving Lord. grace of the Lord Jesus Christ this morning. We mm-hmm. thank you for Calvary's cross. Yes. We thank you for the good news. Thank and we Lord. pray, Lord, that this news would be shared with as many as possible. Mm-hmm. We pray even for somebody here this morning that doesn't know you as Saviour. Help them to see that you're a willing God and you're waiting for those